Welcome to episode three of Books That Make Us Better. My name is Kayla Joe. I'm Megan. I'm Lydia. And I'm Jesse. Can we just uh, really take a quick moment to set the stage? Uh, I would like to first of all point out that Megan has a uh, turban on her head. I say that with love and affection. I think it's, I think she said it's to dry her hair, but it's setting it's a the towel. Thing. It's a towel. It's a turban towel. <laughs> it's twisted in a turban-like way. It has a button on the back to dry oh, my hair. I love it. Um, Lydia had was just going to take a drink of a glass of wine before she remembered to, she had to say her name. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but she went back in for it as soon as she said her name. So God bless. And uh, has a very exceptional scrunchie. Thank you. And a it's large blanket behind her. Large. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to create a sound studio environment, guys. Yeah, it's all about that. Good audio. Just some improvements we're trying to make. We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An alpha media podcast. So we are just getting ready to dive in to part three. I think originally we were going to try to tackle a little bit more, but we're just going to kind of see how things go. But we are ready to get things kicked off with one chapter that I know Megan loved. I'm coming at you, Megan. Take it away with aches. Yeah. So aches, I'm going to summarize shortly, is essentially it really, I feel like it shows us how Glennon operated before she before she rose, before she became this better version of herself. And she described a way that I, that I have been in my life, but being just emotionally removed and not wanting to get too close to people because you might lose them or not wanting to get too close to it doesn't even have to be a person. It could be she even referenced her pet just not wanting to get too close because life ends and your life could end at any point. And so she never got close enough to people because she thought, you know, I've got this whole life thing figured out. This is how uh, life is. Life ends. And, you know, forget about it. I'm perfect. I know. I know exactly what I'm doing now. And I've got life figured out and take that suck it life. I know what I'm doing. I feel like this resonated to me because I, I am guilty of that. <clears throat> like not wanting to be emotionally close to somebody and dog pets, like same. I feel like I want to get emotionally invested, but I'm so scared that I'm going to get my heart broken. And I feel like I've, um, step back from that a lot after having kids. And I was able to kind of analyze like, Oh, I can't really operate that way. I need to just live. And that is what Glennon heard from her therapist when she was bulimic as a kid, just like, you need to live life, stop waiting uh, and stop hiding. You need to live because you're not living. You're just a walking dead. And so I just, I really love this one because it just, it spoke to me. I felt like this is something that I, I have struggled with and just like trying to move on from that and like be emotionally connected to people, be it my family or my kids or my mom and dad, anybody like I just grandparents, people that I know I could lose at any time. Totally resonated. Um, but it's also to me about being vulnerable as well. Yeah. Because, because when you have those walls totally. up, there's no, you know, you're, there's some people I know that are just so 
maybe aggressive is the word I'm thinking of, but it, it's that mentality of like, I'm going to hurt someone else before someone else hurts me kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is almost the same thing, except for just a lot less aggressive. Yeah. Cause she was hurting herself instead. She was hurting herself before somebody else, you know, hurt her and, you know, and removing yourself from the situation or making yourself like toxic in the relationship so that they wanted to drop her. But yeah, it's, I mean, it is totally about being vulnerable because if you accept that life ends at some point and that you have to give your heart to really live, that's a huge vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, you have to put yourself out there. So this might sound kind of silly to a lot of people, but I don't really care about that. I think about that frequently with our pets because our pets in our house are our family. But, you know, if you get a small dog, they live 12 to 15 years. Likely bigger dogs are like 8 to 10 years. And so in the majority of cases, you're not going to outlive your your pets. You know, I think about that. I have two dogs that are 13 and a dog that's 15. And every time we've welcomed um, a new animal into our house, it's like you're totally setting yourself up for that eventually heartbreak. And so every, yeah, I think about that frequently, especially with my two 13 year old dogs, it's just that ache or that part in your mind that, you know, it's coming eventually, but then you think you can't give up the joy and love that you get in the meantime, because you're eventually going to get hurt. You're missing out on so much more out of life. If you choose not to have that relationship Yeah, I feel like that ties into a portion that I highlighted that made a ton of sense. Uh, She said, dealing with the drop shoe is less paralyzing, apparently, than waiting for the shoe to drop. She's totally right. It's when she discovers that she could just, you know, deal with it. I highlighted that exact sentence. Yeah. And I honestly, listening to Brene Brown on her Netflix special is what kind of brought that to me because she talks about living life as if you're always waiting for the other shoot of to to drop and i mean i do that a lot and she helped me be a little bit more conscious of when i'm doing it and so when i read this in the book it was just all those thoughts because i definitely am a person that falls into the category that glennon talks about where she's uh with her grandmother and she notices her hands are papery and her skin is changing and oh well grandma's not going to be here much longer i am that person as well who thinks all of those things so that hit home when i read that and it's not easy to get out of your head sometimes when those thoughts yeah absolutely you know after seeing her grandmother like visiting her grandmother in hospice and then going to see the birth or like well see her new niece and then call like talking about how the niece the niece looks just like grandma did at the end of her life and i thought oh what a beautiful way to put that it's not yeah death blows but also there's life you think you go into she said that actually she said i have entered the place i thought was death and it turned out to be life itself and i mean in that place in that situation when she said that she was thinking more along the lines of she enters but she's like reliving the life that she's lived with her grandma and i mean obviously i'm i'm taking it out of context but i still think it applies you know it when you see new life it can be it's sort of as beautiful as you know somebody ending their life or you know when they're at the end of their life rather yeah well and i thought her perspective on it was interesting because uh one part that i highlighted that i really liked was 
inside the ache is the we. We can do hard things like be alive and love deep and lose it all. Because we do these hard things alongside everyone who has ever walked the earth with her eyes, arms, and heart wide open. And then she goes on to say, the ache is love. So really, it's kind of the matter of perspective, because even though we all dread it and we all kind of feel like that fear of the other shoe dropping, and like not to... Not to bring up bad memories, Jesse, but do you remember last week when you you thought your dog was dead? So I was just waiting to chime in because I live in the aches. Like I have the penthouse. I Every single day, there is a moment in my life where I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop, whether it's something huge like the loss of a life or it's something just like simple that wouldn't really damage or hurt or really be that inconvenient. I'm just always prepared. Like I'm the readier. I'm always ready. And I, I, when I read this chapter, I was like, no wonder I'm exhausted all the time. I'm exhausted all the time because I'm so prepared for the 99.9% of things that never happen. And it's all because I have a penthouse in the aches. I just live there top, top floor and my mansion thinking that it's like, a good thing and a badge of honor to just be prepared for catastrophe. So yes, I did have a death and resurrection all in a matter of 30 minutes because I live in the aches. My dog, Sunny, who I adore, was very, very fast asleep in a morning when normally I get up out of bed as soon as my feet hit the floor, he's up and bouncy and ready to go. And he didn't get up. He didn't, his head didn't lift. It was really weird. So I kind of nudged him on the butt. And again, he didn't move. His head didn't get up. And I start screaming and bawling for Michael to come. Michael, Michael, something's wrong with Sonny. And I'm just screaming, screaming. And he comes into the hallway. And just as he enters the hallway, Sonny lifts his head and looks at me like, why are you screaming? I'm trying to sleep. But I went instantly to my dog is dead on my hallway floor because that's just how I live almost every moment of my life. And I didn't really realize it till I read this chapter. I mean, do you, but do you also talk about it? Like plan for situations? Like if this person does this, I'm going to do this. Do you do that? Yes. Well, and I think part of it is what I do for a living. I make so many in the moment decisions as an educator because there's, there's so many variables of things that could happen that my state of constant preparedness is just how I live my life, both professionally and personally. And again, I just keep coming back to, gosh, no wonder I'm so freaking tired all the time. I'm just so ready for anything and everything, which I always thought as a good characteristic. And now I'm realizing it's probably a character flaw. No, it is a character flaw because I'm not really living. I'm just preparing constantly. I will say you're probably one of the most prepared people I know. I say that with love and affection. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I am very prepared for everything. And even the most unrealistic things that could never happen. Like I'm prepared just in case. Like your two-year-old dog randomly dying in the hallway. For no reason. I'm ready. I was ready. He died and, and I, and I, and I emotionally went through that for 30 minutes. And then I, uh, he came back to life and I lived that. And then I tried to work out and I told Kayla, I'm like, I'm exhausted. Like I had a death and resurrection and I literally can't think about doing squats right now. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> We got through it. It's all right. So I think that's a great way though. I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't love Sunny so much, it wouldn't be a worry. No, I was going to say, here's the the twist on it. So then once Sunny was fine, I, I took my like anxiety as, as okay, Sunny's fine, but that means something else is wrong. So I, in, I called my mom at five 30 in the morning. 
are you alive? Are you there? Are you? She's like, yeah, why? What's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I just have this panic feeling. So something has to be wrong, but you're okay. And she's like, yes. Like, that's just how I am. Like something had to have been bad and nothing was bad. I just was looking around like it has to be bad. There's something bad. I once did that to a babysitter for Cora. I was working out and I just had this like sudden feeling. I literally, I stopped everything I was doing. I called and I was like, is, is Cora okay? Is she fine? Did she choke on anything? Is she all right? And she's like, uh, no, nope, she's just playing here. <laughs> this is before I had, before I had Mel, Lydia. So now I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Mel's I know. I don't ever worry about my kids with Mel and that's no. 100%. I worry about taking my other kids to school and what's going to happen at school and all of that. And I worry about Keenan during his day, but whatever child is at Mel's house for whatever hours, golden. Yeah, they're fine. They're, in yep. fact, they're better than fine. And they're better than if they were mates with me. Do you think Mel has room for Sunny? Oh, she, <laughs> she might. I, I'm going to need a, a dog sitter. So She's if a, anyone listening would like to take care of a, a Hey, I know someone. Doodle. Oh gosh, I feel like the ache really brought everything together here. So... <laughs> We came full circle. It's a really good time to move on for uh, to ghosts. I normally wouldn't read this very first part, but it's so applicable and it's so funny. So this little um, italicized part that's above the first chapter, it says, I was born a little broken with an extra dose of sensitivity. And then she said some horse shit I wrote about myself in my first memoir, which I thought was amazing. Definitely a good touch. <laughs> so ghosts is about Glennon when she was in her 20s. She believed that somewhere was the perfect human woman who woke up beautiful and unbloated, clear skinned, fluffy haired, fearless, lucky in love, calm and confident. And Glennon thought that her life was just easy. And whoever this mystery woman was that had to be out there haunted Glennon like a ghost. And she talks about how hard she tried to be this woman. And in her 30s, she gave the ghost the finger which I think is great. And I love that. She quit trying to be perfect and she decided to start celebrating her imperfection. She said, I claimed my new identity, jacked up human. It goes on to talk about how rebellion is as much of a cage as obedience is. And they both mean living in reaction to someone else's way instead of forging your own. Freedom is not being for or against an ideal, but creating your own existence from scratch, which I love that. So then she goes on to talk about an interview she did with Oprah Winfrey. And apparently in her first memoir or book, she described herself as broken. And Glennon said, no, actually I wouldn't. That's ridiculous. I think this sort of thing is why Jesus only wrote in the sand. And we talked about that in our last podcast, which that idea, I love that writing things in the sand, it can always be changed. Broken means does not function as it was designed to function. A broken human is one who does not function the way humans are designed to function. When I think about my own human experience, what honest people have told me about their human experiences and the experiences of every historical and contemporary human being I've ever studied, we all seem to function the exact same way. We hurt people and we are hurt by people. We feel left out, envious, not good enough, sick and tired. So I could literally go on to read this whole chapter. I just feel like this chapter is amazing. But the 
last part that I think is most important to mention. And in fact, I updated my Facebook status as this because I just thought it was so wonderful. If you are uncomfortable in deep pain, angry, yearning, confused, you don't have a problem. You have a life. Being human is not hard because you're doing it wrong. It's hard because you're doing it right. You will never change the fact that being human is hard. So you must change your idea that it was ever supposed to be easy. And I do think that we somehow like have this idea that life is not meant to be difficult, but I think there's a lot of things super difficult about life, but we just think that for other people, it's easy. And I just also would like to mention that I think social media plays a part in that (laughs) because people only post the best on social media and then everybody looking has this idea. And then you find out Jim, Bob and Tracy are getting divorced. And then you're like, when did that even happen? They just took a trip to Cancun two months ago. And then you find out Bob's been cheating on Tracy for the last two and a half years. Tracy is now an alcoholic and like their life was just a big shit show and nobody knew about it. I just made that whole scenario up. I don't know Bob or Tracy, but I'm just saying that it's all just ridiculous. You're not wrong. Social media plays a huge role in that. And I look, oh my gosh, my Facebook memories will come up and I am so embarrassed (laughs) by the garbage that I would say like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. But I never have... I don't want to say never. I, for a long time, have not played into the idea that everybody's life is perfect on social media, mainly because I will see my Facebook memory and I'll think, oh, Lydia, your life was definitely messy then, but you wanted people to think it wasn't. So I had my own little mirror to look back at. You guys, I used to cut my own bangs. You're not supposed to cut bangs. Oh, I did. I did. And then I see them in my Facebook memories and I'm like, oh boy, I wish somebody would have said something to me about that. Please, please share that next time. I need to see that. All right. I'll find it. I I love how you didn't even, you weren't even like, no guys. You just, okay. Yeah. Have have we not learned that the point of this book is to be vulnerable towards other people? And I love that you're unashamed about it. (laughs) I could find a photo of myself with the bangs that my mother got for me. Started in like the middle top of my head. That's great. And if Lydia could send us a example of the old statuses she used to post. Oh no, I delete them. (laughs) I love that. I. It doesn't have to live on in 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 infamy. It could just go away. They are so embarrassingly awful. I delete them. Those are the only statuses I delete. Anything else, I own it. Like, this is me. This is my personality. I don't care. But, oh, my goodness. There are some that just, <laughs> I can't. Delete Maybe exists for a reason. Maybe come up, I suppose I could potentially share a screenshot as long as I know they, <laughs> they're safe in this group. <laughs> this we'll public group official. Oh, all right. Well, I think I feel like that summed up ghosts. Does anyone else have any extra thoughts on that chapter? I highlighted three quarters of that chapter. And it wasn't long, but like the whole dang thing, I, it was amazing. It was good. I don't, I don't have anything further to say about it though. I want other people to read it. Just that you highlighted all of it. That's it. Yep. I just highlighted pretty much the whole chapter. (laughs) Awesome. So what's next? I think it's smiles. Yes. And in smiles, Glennon takes her parents to Paris. She talks about going to the Louvre and visiting the Mona Lisa exhibit and she says that she's never really understood why people 
are so enchanted by this painting. And a woman comes up to her and asks her if she's heard one of the ideas behind her smile and then proceeds to tell Glennon that one story is that Mona Lisa and her husband lost a child. And then sometime later, she has another child and the husband wants this painting to be kind of like a commemoration of the new child being born. But Mona Lisa doesn't want to give too much joy or be too happy because she feels like that's kind of dishonoring the child that she lost. And which I, I get that. I don't know. I just I felt that. And she says in the book uh, that she feels as if Mona Lisa is there telling us, don't tell me to smile. I will not be pleasant. Even trapped here inside two dimensions, you will see the truth. And I think that's really awesome because I guess I kind of took that as we don't need to plaster a smile on our face if we don't feel like it. And I like that. Yeah, totally. Like, can we please normalize men not telling us to smile? Please. Can we? Please normalize that. That's at the top of my list of things that irritate the shit out of me. When I was a barista and some man told me that, I did the exact opposite and raised my eyebrows giving the impression that I thought very lowly of that person. And then I would make their coffee room. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say being in like the service and hospitality industry, this is uh, hard because it is something whether, and it's it's more placed upon females um, about that smile. I can't tell you how many times I've worked in restaurants where I've been told by owners or managers, uh, I need you to smile. You need to smile. And I get that. Like part of hospitality is that, that welcoming and that, but that does that have to be like this crazy smile or are there ways to be inviting and pleasant without having to be yeah, literally, just, like when you're focused on a task and you re- you go to your resting face, I'm so sorry that I'm not smiling while I'm preparing your coffee drink for you. STFU, don't tell me what to do. I mean, I feel like if Jesse's not throwing down a plate and isn't like, here's your tomahawk steak, you bitch, then I think things are going pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, what more can you ask for? No, I, I don't I need to you your food. <laughs> it's hot. You have drinks. What do you want? <laughs> so, Jesse, when you were talking about like a manager, you know, telling you smile, smile, I just picture this like maniacal smile because you're frantically sometimes running around trying to get your tables and your drinks and your orders. It's being a server, like working in a restaurant, is not easy to smile all the time. <laughs> At all. I feel like I would be very sweaty. So really, probably people don't want me serving any food. (laughs) But it just seems like a lot of running. But can you smile and sweat? It's important. (laughs) If you can smile, you're hired. It's not not the sweating for us. Everybody's shorthanded right now. Kayla Jo, we'll take anything. I love a good low bar. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but can I just add, has anyone had had someone say, you're prettier when you smile? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So work. Megan, just the the side view I got of that towel told me everything I needed to know. The moral of this story of this chapter is don't tell a woman to smile. Period. I used to work for a company uh in retail 
that at some of the bigger stores required uh, certain makeup and hairstyles to be working for them. And so girls would get sent, never boys, but girls would get sent home for not being appropriately like done up in makeup and in hair, which I mean, I understand maybe if you're in the movies and like you're acting in a role, maybe there are things like that. I don't know. It just always bothered me when the females on the staff would get sent home for not looking done up enough. Jesse, was this a strip club? <laughs> I, as I started talking about it, I'm like, people are going to, I said retail store. They oh, oh. Well, I mean, yeah, like, I'm a retail. They, they, they sold things that did not include, um, like dances or sexual favors. <laughs> okay. They, yeah. They sold articles of clothing. Um, and so they would expect people to look a certain way, but there was definitely a double, I don't want to say a double standard because there was a standard for the men, but the standard was much higher for the women in terms of what it took to be ready for work. Thank you for clearing that up. Barf. <laughs> I know. Right. So let's move on to goals. Does anyone want to sum up goals? So in goals, uh, Glennon goes through her experience of, um, goes back through her experience of becoming sober and, and stopping, uh, her purging and, and dealing with her bulimia and through these stories about how she, um, her ultimate goal was to be this good, perfect human, to be this good, perfect mother, this good, perfect wife, this good, perfect Christian. And she basically exhausted herself um, through trying to be perfect and to reach these goals. And it took her husband's infidelity to make her realize that no matter how hard she tried to work at being perfect and meeting these goals, uh, that wasn't going to bring her or anyone around her, I guess, the happiness. And, and the only thing that really would bring her happiness was to be free, to free herself of this constant pursuit of perfection and her like overall theme, I guess, is just that, you know, being perfect, um, you know, almost or being perfect or trying to attain these goals almost killed her because she was doing all these things to maintain an image. So she was suppressing feelings and thoughts. She was binging and purging. She was drinking to forget. And that all almost killed her all to attain these goals, these goals of perfection. But also being perfect didn't save her marriage. No, it didn't at all. And so like how I think that was very obviously hard for her as well. Like I had worked so hard to try to be perfect all the time and to, you know, achieve these thoughts in my mind that would keep everyone happy. My kids and my husband and my friends and my, you know, fellow Christians and people in my faith. And then it, it didn't. And then everything that she thought would make herself happy went against all of them. She thought in some way that might not have been in goals, but it's later on. And see, this is like society. This is what society teaches us. If you can be the perfect woman, wife, you know, in heterosexual relationships, this is what they tell us that if you can be perfect, then your marriage will be fine. And if something happens, whose fault is it? Right. It's, ne it's never the man's fault, even when it is. Although I will say that I definitely felt a little later on. I gave her husband a little bit more credit than he had been having in my head. <laughs> I listened a little too far. Anyway, um, yeah, I just feel like this is this is that thing again that society just drills into little girls. You must be perfect. And then therefore your life will be perfect. Let's end it, though, this chapter with the very last sentence. 
or two sentences, I should say. She said basically what she's trying to say is instead of being perfect, let's change it to, and now that we don't have to be good, we can be free. Because even when we are good and perfect, things don't always work out. And so there's really no shame in just trying your hardest, but your hardest doesn't always have to be perfect. Yeah, that can be summarized as you do you. Just boo. You do you. I love saying that. I say that all the time. <laughs> I do, do too. You, <laughs> so I really want to sum up this next chapter. It is so short and it's so sweet, but it just brought me so much joy. So it's called Adam and Keys. So Glennon tells a story about a few years ago, Alicia Keys announced to the world that she was done wearing makeup. She said, I don't want to cover up anymore. Not my face, not my mind, not my soul, not my thoughts, not my dreams, not my struggles, nothing. Well, then a while later, in an interview with Adam Levine, he said they were filming a show and he poked his head into Alicia Keys dressing room and she was putting on lipstick and he smiled and said, oh, I thought Alicia doesn't wear makeup. She turned around, looked at him, lipstick in her hand, and she said, I do what the fuck I want. And that's it. That's the whole chapter. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It was honestly one of the greatest chapters I've ever read in any book. The lesson, the lesson is do what the fuck you want. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the more you know, Rainbow. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Very good. Hey, I'll take the next one if we're going to move on. Do it. Okay. So the next one is called Ears. And... I know, I know you resonate with Tish, Lydia, <laughs> and I, I don't, but I loved this story. I loved it. Uh, so there, I think I'm, because I feel like I resonate a little bit with the younger daughter, just being like, pulse the wall and just, let's do it. Um, so it's before her divorce. I don't know. We don't need to go in the chronological part, but the, essentially um, Glennon is taking her daughters to get their ears pierced and they had decided that they wanted it. And her youngest is super excited to get in there. And she's very sure of herself. She's really excited to go get her ears pierced. And so she like runs ahead of everybody, gets there. The the gal at, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume this is Claire's because <laughs> like, where did everybody get their ears pierced? The girl at Claire's is like, um, is this your daughter? And she says, yes. And she says, well, do you want her to get one ear pierced first or both ears pierced? And like Glennon doesn't even get to answer. What's her daughter's Emma, Amma? Amma? Do we want to say I Amma? I say Amma when I read I say it. say Amma too. So Amma's like, both, let's do it. And like, I'm envisioning that voice. <laughs> both, yes, let's do it. And like, just, yeah. And so she gets both of her ears pierced at the same time. And she's like, yes. And, but you know, Tish watches this whole thing, just watches it unfold silently and decides that she does not want to get her ears pierced um, now. And then the gal that works for Claire's, it says, well, it's your turn, honey. Hop on up. And she says, no, I don't want to get my ears pierced today. And she said, oh, be brave like your little sister was. And then they, you know, they leave. And um, and, you know, it really rubbed Glenn in the wrong way. And honestly, same, because we have this misconstrued notion of what 
brave should be. And brave means that you ignore what your gut is telling you to do and you just go for it. But that's that's not what brave means. So, you know, brave is brave does not mean feeling afraid and doing it anyway. Brave means living from the inside out. Brave means in every uncertain moment, turning inward, feeling for the knowing and speaking it out loud. So again, you know, finding it in yourself. What is it that you know that you want to do? And it's, I feel like it just comes back to whenever your parents are like, Hey, if everyone else is jumping off the bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge? It's so true. Like <laughs> you, it's so true that you're thinking about, you know, what is my version of brave? If my version of brave is walking away from a situation that I don't feel comfortable with, then that is brave. And so Glennon takes that time on the drive home to tell the girls that while Ama did her brave thing, what Tish did too was brave also because she didn't give in to what somebody else wanted her to do. And she was able to say like, this is, this is what I know. This is how I feel comfortable. And this is what I will do. And man, just reading that chapter, I thought, Oh my gosh, I really need to fix how I do things with Cora. Cause I, I definitely know, like we've been trying to learn how to ride a bike <laughs> and I say, be brave often. And then I thought, okay, well, if she doesn't want to do it, then maybe she's telling me, you know, she, she knows herself. She knows what's true to her. And so I should just listen to her. I think we said this last time. But where is the fine line on this one though? It's like yeah. I 10-4, hear what you're saying for sure. And I do agree to a point, but there was a time, the first time that Tony and I went to Colorado, this is ridiculous that I was such a pansy. Uh, maybe I shouldn't even be saying that. Did I not take anything from this chapter? Clearly but not. <laughs> we went zip lining and obviously we're in Colorado, like it's up and it's through the mountains. And I, guys, I cried a grown ass human adult crying on a bus to go out to this stupid zip line because I was so afraid and I did it. And it was amazing. And I would do it again. I would try not to shed so many tears, but I was just that afraid. And so it's like, where do you draw the line on that? Because in some cases, it is a positive thing to get over some of the things that you're afraid of. Like, I'm really glad that I didn't stay on the bus and cry the whole time. That would have been like a real sad afternoon. So in that situation, I am like, I don't think there was any part of my gut that was like, hey, get on this wire and zoom over this river full of really sharp rocks. Like, I don't think any part of me was like, Hey, this is a good idea, but I am really glad I did it. So that one was kind of tough for me. Where like, I saw the point that she was making and I think it's an excellent perspective, but I do think that probably there's times that we do have to push ourselves just a little bit to experience some of the things that, yeah, I, I have had a similar uh, situation. We, we were in Frankfurt, Germany, and there's this super tall building that you can ride their fast elevator to the top and you can see a long way. Well, I, I am claustrophobic. I do not like elevators. I don't. And so we get in and like, Rob was like, no, come on, we definitely should do this. And I said, okay, fine. You know, I get in there and I hyperventilated. I had like a full on panic attack and I was like 13 weeks pregnant. And so I'm freaking out because I'm like, what's going to happen? You know, elevators, like those are the source of nightmares for me. And like, no matter how 
many times Rob has told me, you know, logically what would happen if some if an elevator fell, you know, it doesn't matter. It's always in my nightmares. Trying to explain that logically for me is never going to happen, but I've pushed through it enough times to do fun things, even though they've I'm like terrified the entire time. Um, but I will say there's definitely one time where I opted out. I was freaking out and climbing these super narrow stairs to the top of a cathedral in Germany. And I just didn't, I couldn't, I stopped halfway and I said, no, I can't. I, I am like shaking and I can't do this anymore. So I'm done. And I don't feel sad that I didn't finish it. I feel fine. <laughs> I could go back. I could do it again, but I feel fine knowing that I decided on that and I stuck with it and I went with it and I, I don't, I don't feel sad about it. So I don't know. I can see both sides of the coin here. Same. Yep. I agree. I can see it from both angles and you both bring up great points about it. I mean, I feel like it's all situational. All right. Who wants to take the next one? Terms? Yeah. So I think terms was all about when Liz, her friend comes to visit her in Naples where she lives. Um, And I think in the beginning of the chapter, she kind of sets the stage of why she lives in Naples. Uh, and I'm trying to remember what was it Lyme disease? Yeah, it was yeah. something Lyme, something to do with Lyme disease. Yeah. And yeah, living and so, there helped it. Yes. And she has this kind of uh, revelation of like, why did it have to take Lyme disease for me to live somewhere that I wanted to be? And I, you know, kind of resonated with that um, just because yeah, why did it have to take me, you know, nearly dying or, or being so miserable to go somewhere that I that better served me. Um, and so she talks about her experience with uh, Liz and getting the courage to reveal her uh, feelings about Abby to Liz, um, because at that point she hadn't told really anybody, I think, other than um, her sister. But she saw a lot in Liz and described Liz as being very confident and a free woman um, who knew what she wanted and was certain on her decisions. And so Glennon invites her to stay with her at her house and they have these meaningful conversations about Glennon's love for Abby and she helps her realize that you know, where she really probably needs to be and and should be is with Abby and not trying to continue to live a life for just her husband and her kids, that her happiness has value and needs to be addressed. Yeah. And what I also really liked about this chapter is when Glennon describes herself as a friend and how she doesn't have a lot of friends because she's not a person who remembers birthdays and she may have many un, or uh, many text messages that she hasn't responded to. And that hit me because I feel like that's me. I am horrible at remembering birthdays. I still love you and care about you, but I am awful at remembering that. I have tried to put it in my calendar and it's I just can't do it. And I will have days where I have dozens of unopened text messages because sometimes I just can't do it. All of her parts where she talks about not only returning the text messages or remembering the birthdays, but like she's constantly living in debt in debt to, I need to do this because of someone else's feelings. I need to do this because of someone else. And so she's constantly in debt with needing to do those things. And so once she just decided I'm not going to live in debt, the people that you know, care about me are still going to be there. And the people that are just there because I respond to them or because they get something other than, I don't know, uh, something out of the relationship. I, I, did, I mean, I guess I did struggle with that a little bit because I probably am the person that is 
wanting to be responded to wanting to be remembered. And so I can't imagine, I, I don't know. I try to be that good person too, that I'm, I'm definitely the first one to call the first one to text. I'm the one that remembers the birthday or buys the, you know, just thoughtful gift that I saw something in a store that reminded me of you. And I want you to have this because I had that feeling. So then I'm like, I can't imagine. And I don't do that for anybody. Like it makes me happy to be that person. So then I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I would be, I don't think I would be happy not being that person. Like I like it. I, don't I know. It could be that person. I, every time I see somebody give a thoughtful gift and it was just, I thought of you and I saw this and here it is. I am so jealous because I'm not that person. And I, wish I was. So I, good job. I love I that like about people. I simultaneously like and loathe <laughs> that kind of person because it makes me feel supremely guilty. I like it's so But it's weird great, because I, I never can't. have any feelings of like other people don't care about me. I mean, I want, I would love to be like, if you don't return my text message, it's not going to kill me. But if I don't return your text message, then that kills me. And it's not because I think it's because like, they're going to be mad at me. I do it because like, that makes me feel good. That makes me happy. So I don't know. I guess I was really torn on the chapter, um, at least in that part, because I don't, and I guess it could be the reason, the reason she was doing it was because she felt a need, she had to, Whereas I feel like a lot of the times when I'm in situations, it's not because I have to, it's because it actually makes me happy, which also feeds into that, my people pleasing. But those types of things give me life. I would like to just bring up two separate points on this. Number one, and this is a true story. I one time gave Tony a set of pots and pans for Christmas. Because he said at one point, he can you guys just unmute your microphones, okay? Because I feel like We're none of this is, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, okay, well, he had mentioned that he wanted them like three months earlier. And so I would like to say that you're in a better position if you don't receive a gift from me because I am not a good, I am a terrible <laughs> gift giver. I would like to think I have a really creative brain, but I just don't. I don't. Unless someone wants a fanny pack. I, which is my new thing. This is fanny pack summer for me. So, um, you know, if you get that, don't be surprised because it is my new thing right now. Um, but also I will say that Jesse, I did text you a really funny Cody Brown joke Friday night and did not get a response. Okay. And first of all, why don't, I didn't know what Cody Brown went. I thought I didn't, I didn't get it. Cody Brown from sister wives. Oh my God. <laughs> I well, need, frankly, I'm offended that you forgot that we talk about sister wives. No, I needed a picture. I was like in the middle of now that you bring it up in the middle of serving and I saw it on my Apple watch and I'm like, who's Cody? And like my memory like was like jogging Cody Brown, Cody Brown, Cody Brown. And I'm like, I'll think about it later. And then I didn't think about it till right now. But now I want to reread that text message. And well, I was uh, at a car Co show, Cody Brown I was at a car show and someone drove by in a beat up Chrysler Sebring. And I was like, is that Cody Brown? Like, it looked just like Cody Brown from Sister Wives. And so I was like, this is something I have to communicate with Jesse because we have this like weird quest <laughs> that we want to meet the Sister Wives family. Just, I don't think we want to be a part of it. Like, I think we just, at least I don't, I can't speak for Jesse on that, but I don't want to say that I've held on to that all weekend, but I guess this just was my chance to bring it up. <laughs> 
Oh you God. did hold on to it. And I uh, apologize and will definitely be texting you in a few seconds. Thank you. That is probably the least you could do. Megan, Megan makes mental note to finally watch Sister Wives. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They, it, anything on. Uh, oh, my God. What's the network? TLC. Who are you tonight? Oh, I know. I'm sorry. It has been uh, quite a weekend. Yeah, we are TLC junkies. <laughs> Part of our personal training is also recapping anything that happened in 90 Day Fiance. Uh, Sister Wives. Okay, that one. I have watched 90 Day Fiance. I mean, how can you not? And then what's the other one? The like, oh, it's like I said yes or something. It's similar very quick but or it's like a blind yes like they don't even get to meet each other oh. it's chosen for them and then they meet each other at the altar married at first married sight, at first sight. Yes. yes love it whoa um i follow a couple of them on instagram because they're still together what? so interesting i can't even imagine that i also frequently message kayla and think about her when i watch my 600 pound life because a lot of the stuff doctor uh now tells people is stuff that kayla tells me <laughs> Um, okay. And then do you also watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette? I don't. No, those I, I don't know. Sorry, you're on your own, Megan. But if it's on Bravo, I watch it. Ooh, so. yes. Okay, well, Jesse, the dog sitter, you and her can bond over watching My 600 Pound Life because that's like in her Monday, Monday oh jam. I'm pr- I think I send Kayla a meme once a week of something Dr. Now said that I was like, I'm pretty sure you've told me this. <laughs> When I started dating Keenan and he would come over to my apartment and there would always be like a housewives of whatever on. One time he looked at me and he said, um, you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. And you really watch this. And I said, yes, <laughs> I do. And there's nothing wrong with it. Because sometimes right. we need to go down. Yeah, it's my I don't have to process or think I can just put yeah. it on and I don't have to. It's great. Yeah. And also my life does not have drama like this. So somebody else's is fascinating to me. Answer his question with a question. Why don't you watch this? Oh, he did (laughs) totally go into it. And sometimes he'll come in the room now and he'll say that she's still on. She looks different. Or is this somebody (laughs) new? And I'm like, I thought you didn't pay attention. (laughs) Rob Rob does the same. He'll sit and watch the bachelor or bachelorette with me. Like he'll, he'll walk away, but he'll still definitely come in and like kind of try to remember who's who. And (laughs) it's funny. (laughs) That's gold. It's all gold. So speaking of gold, I felt uh, like the next chapter was really good. And Lydia, were you the one that wanted to sum up? Yeah, I really liked this chapter, yes. too. I feel like we say I really like this chapter a lot, but there's a lot we of do. great stuff. So <laughs> the whole book. We really like the whole book. So good. I think we um, need to reach out to Glennon. I've been thinking that this whole time tonight. Who's going to tweet? Who's going who's gonna to? I don't do the tweeting. I'll tweet. But if I tweet at Glennon, I'm also tweeting at Coney Brown. And ain't no one going to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> do it if he shows up in the does, in four does he tweet Sebring, i'm gonna love it <laughs> yes he tweets and how does so he have all time with all of his wives and children you always make time because they do everything the megan so he has plenty of time <laughs> oh you're right my bad i forgot <laughs> that was the patriarchal society there i'm just going ahead and assuming that's what's happening <laughs> saying no wife picking herself a second wife <laughs> unless that second wife is going to take care of all the kids Right. I can think of perks. Okay, moving on. Okay, so in Erica's, Glennon has a friend named Erica who um, is an artist. She, however, 
was not supported in that when she was younger and went to business school, I believe. Um, and then she gets married to a guy, puts him through medical school. They have a child together. And then Erica feels like she's reached a point where she could pursue her art and wants to go to art school. So Glennon's talking to her and asks how that's going. And Erica just she pretty much blows it off and says, oh, that was I don't need to do that. That's that's not like really where my life is right now. And then that makes Glennon question, why do we as women dismiss ourselves and our passions and what we care about in order to give the other people in our lives the best life? Why do we not listen to what makes us happy in order to make other people happy? And then kind of gave some ex examples of how in society women are basically told, you know, we we don't really know what we want. We need someone else to to help us out with that. And this really resonated with me simply because I feel like that's so common for us. And I know I've done it and I have a really, really great husband who has never told me that my ideas or dreams or passions are stupid or that I need to not do them because, well, you know, Lydia, we really got to do this first. Or he's always been like, you want to do this? Cool. I told him about this podcast and he was like, this is amazing. You need to do this. Everything I want to do, he is in support of. And I haven't had relationships like that in the past. I've always been kind of told what I want or what I believe or what I met or what matters to me isn't that important and I just need to be some like somebody else. So this chapter meant a lot to me when I read it because I feel like I'm finally on the other end of it and it feels really good. And that's something that is totally possible. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I feel like we are, she, and Glennon even says this, but we are taught uh, as little girls that we can't be loud and bossy and outspoken and we have to be polite and yeah, and ask for permission to do things. And, you know, while I get that politeness and asking for permission makes sense in certain situations, why are we trying to like calm the girls? I don't know. Quell the girls. Why are we trying to tamp them down? Uh, tamed. Tamed. We're tamed. Yeah. Why are we? I mean, why, why do we do that to the girls and why do the boys get to do whatever they want? Why? Well, I, I'm asking society, please give me an answer. Tweet at me. I don't tweet, but please. <laughs> Why? Megan with your, with your answers. <laughs> at Megan. <laughs> well, I always thought that this chapter was really kind of interesting to me because I've always kind of been, oh, how do I word this? Sassy. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, God bless my husband. I've taken him on a thousand wild rides of, well, I was a DJ when he met me, but then it was like, hey, I'm going to do this. And then I'd be like, hey, I'm going to do this. Hey, I'm going to get certified to personal train. Oh, hey, I'm going to start. Like, there's just so, my interests maybe are just really spread out, but I, I don't take a lot of shit. And when there's something I want to do, I just kind of want to do it or I do it rather. But then sometimes society looks at that and they don't like that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get why, why strong emotions are wrong. Yeah. Why? And why is that frowned upon? Why can't you just be yourself you, when you're meeting somebody new and you want to be yourself? And maybe that's very passionate and outspoken i'm why is that wrong 
But if we look back in history, it's the people that were outspoken that changed things. Yeah. Quit, quit trying to tame the, the girls that are going to do the good stuff. Yeah. I had kind of a... Puts on chapstick. (laughs) (laughs) I had kind of a, like, shocking and also horrific kind of moment in this chapter. There's a passage that talks about women who are the best at disappearing uh, or at the disappearing act or in the highest praise. So the people that are like the most self, the women that are the most selfless um, and, you know, really just invest themselves into everyone else, but themselves get the highest praise. They're the perfect moms. They're the perfect wives, the perfect sisters. And she has this italicized, you know, she is so selfless. Um, as that being the epitome of womanhood. And I think back to a like speech that I gave at like my best friend's wedding and I called her selfless. And it was this badge of like honor. Cause I was so like in awe of how she did so much for others. And then I'm like, Oh, oh my God. Like, was that now I like want to go watch the video and then look at myself in horror for saying that because, and not that it wasn't true, but I'm like, is that really was that really endearing? And, and uh, I don't know. I just felt so bad after I said it. Cause I'm like, Oh, and I don't even feel like she thinks that she lost herself at any point, but my praise to her was how much she did for others and how much she did for herself. Well, quite frankly, I got into, uh, I had words to say in regards to uh, a dog a couple weeks ago. And I, I told them he was being shitty and I, I feel like calling someone selfless in comparison to calling someone <laughs> shitty. Like, Jesse, maybe don't look back on that and think, gosh darn it. Like, oh, well. <laughs> it wasn't horrible. No, <laughs> you meant it in a positive way. But Absolutely. in all fairness, I did mean he was being shitty. And I still stand by what I said. So <laughs> that's how that goes. I'm sure he, whoever, I'm sure he was if you used it. Thank you for your vote of confidence. Yeah, I, I have two things to say regarding this. First, um, regarding the selfless thing, I this is something that I am not. I I think I tried to do the selfless thing, and then I did lose myself, and then it got bad, and now I'm getting out of that again. And like, oh, sorry, in the middle ish of the pandemic, I with Cora, I started doing this thing where in the morning she would she's raring to go. She doesn't eat coffee. She's ready to go. She's ready to tell me a thousand thousand things. And I just can't process it in the morning. I need to have at least a cup of coffee. And so I started to show her what self-care looks like by saying, honey, I care about what you're telling me, but you need to let me have a cup of coffee so that I can fully be invested in what you're telling me. And I thought, okay, so she can at least see that this is a thing that I need to do for me and I'm not going to give myself up just so that you can just talk at me. Um, and now it's, I'm a little bit better now that I like Iris not up a thousand times at night and I can focus, but you know, I felt like that was a really good thing for her to just understand this thing. Um, and two, I wanted to come back to women, um, being amazing and her last two sentences of this chapter, 
what the world needs is more women who have quit fearing themselves and started trusting themselves. What the world needs is masses of women who are entirely out of control. Yes. That gives me a goosebump. Right, like a fist in the air. Like, yes. yes. That is what, because when women get together, they do great things. Absolutely. Out of control. Yeah. And this chapter makes me also think of my mom because she was involved in a lot of of different things and would have meetings in the evening and would come home and I'd be there waiting and she probably wanted to just go to bed but she would sit up and talk with me about my day and whatever else I wanted to spew out and that example is partly the reason I am who I am today because I want to be involved and I want to have an impact and my mom taught me that, that it's important to be involved and that you can still be a really great mom who loves your kids and who is there for your kids and gives them your time. But you can also care about what you care about and get involved in those things. And I hope that my kids see that as well, because it's important. Are we all going to snap for that? I was snapping. (laughs) Jesse, come on. Jesse, where are you? (laughs) Jesus. I snapped so hard and knocked my camera over. (laughs) We're falling apart. No, I agree. I think that's, again, it's one of those super fine line. You know, we want to give 100% to our kids. How do we do that without losing ourselves in the process. I don't know. I've kind of battled back and forth with this. One thing in my life that's really important is exercising and it's the best way for me to start my day. So on the weekends I get up and I go. And so there's good and bad about that. Like there's weekends that, I mean, should I stay and hang out with Liam for an hour or is it better for him to see that? Like I'm invested in myself and my health and you know, obviously my husband's still home. I'm not just like latchkey parenting my kid. Like here's a granola bar on the counter. I'm out. Peace, bro. (laughs) You know, but it's like, I go back and forth because when he's 16 and he doesn't want to spend time with me, am I going to look back and be like, gosh, I really wish I would have done that. It's a, it's a priority to me and health is a priority and being healthy is a priority. And so it's one of those things like how will he look back at me for that. I don't know. It's just one of those things I think about. I am with you on that because I also think those same things and where I am with it right now is I feel like it's smarter if my children see me as a whole human with all those parts and that sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm going to have a bad day and I'm going to cry and other days mom's got it going on. I don't know, but I feel like If they know what's important to me, then, and that clearly they're a part of that, I feel like they can give me grace when I need it, and I give them grace when they need it, as much as possible. So I feel like you're doing a great job with that, Kayla. Right back at you, sister. Thanks. Thank you for listening to episode three of Books That Make Us Better. Kind of a new development this week. You can now find us on Facebook at Books That Make Us Better podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player, and we will talk to you next week. And just a reminder, we can do hard things.